0: As most of you know, some of you have been away on on holidays here, but we are in the book of Matthew, and... As I was preparing for chapter 3, we've already covered chapter 1 and 2. But as I was preparing for chapter 3, I went over to a, a, another parallel passage in the book of Luke and began to uh, look at that and study that. And I ended up not being able to get out of Luke. So here's what's going to happen, and I think it's going to work. We're going to do the first chapter, basically, of Luke though we are in the book of matthew and next sunday we're gonna come back to matthew and we're gonna follow the storyline that i'm going to uh... lord willing present to you this morning to give you a better understanding really of The Forerunner of the King. That's the uh, title of our message this morning. The Forerunner of the King. Now remember our first week, for those of you that were here, the first chapter of Matthew, I titled it, The King Has Come. The second chapter, I titled it, Jesus the King is Born. And now today, the Forerunner of the King. As I've shared with you already that, The gospel of Matthew has an emphasis upon Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah that was going to come and come as king of Israel. And so Matthew, from his perspective, is trying to get that proof, if we could say, across in how he writes this. But with that, uh, turn uh, in your Bibles with me to uh, Luke's Gospel, and we're going to be in chapter 1 this morning, starting in verse uh, 5. For those of you that have read the Old Testament, meaning that you've gone through the Old Testament from Genesis to the last book of the Old Testament, which is the prophet Malachi, You know that there is, uh, that's referred to as the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Now, between the Old Covenant or Old Testament and the New Testament or the New Covenant, there is a period that is uh, 400 year period that is referred to as the silent years. There's a number of things that went on during those 400 years silent years. We we know that uh, during that period of time there was the sect of the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees that really came up during that time. Lots of church history happened through those 400 years, but here's what's unique about this period of time: God was basically silent. He wasn't speaking through any prophets after Malachi for a 400-year period of time. Just get that your head wrapped around that. For 400 years, God was not speaking through a prophet. The canon of the Old Testament was already completed by that time. 39 books of the Old Testament had come to a close. And now 400 year period was going to transpire before the last prophet that was going to come on the scene, which is John the Baptist, and he's going to come forth as the forerunner of the Messiah. It's really about 430 years, if we were to be more precise, from the time of Malachi to the time that Jesus Christ was, uh, went into his public ministry And John the Baptist came on the scene. The 4,000 years prior, the Old Testament is comprised of about 4,000 years of history. That's a long period of time. From the time of Genesis all the way to Malachi, we have really... A lot of diff- different pictures that have been formulated all the way through the Old Testament. Uh, the Jews would have known of their uh, great deliverer, Moses. Moses was the great deliverer of Israel. They would have had their temple. They would have had uh, Israel had their prophets, they had their priests, they had their kings. All of these things transpiring in the Old Testament, and they were all going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. All of those things, even including the... all of those things would be fulfilled in him when he came into this world. Jesus Christ, in 33 years of his life, fulfilled all of those typologies that we see in the Old Testament. 33 years of life on earth here, he fulfilled all of those things as the deliverer, as the redeemer, as the prophet, as the priest, and as king, he fulfilled all of those offices. Paul wrote in the book of Galatians in chapter four verse four. He says, "When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adopt that we might receive the adoption as sons." But notice what it says, when the fullness of time has come. In other words, this was really like God the Father in essence in heaven saying, it's time. The time has come. 400 years have passed. Silent years. The time has come. It's now. We read in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul, uh, writing to Timothy, says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It was his mission. It's why he came. He came to save me. He came to save each one of you. He came to save everyone that would turn their life over to him and repent and come to Christ. He came for that purpose. It was Christ's mission to come and to save sinners. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the Lord saved you? Incredible to think about the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, coming for that purpose, to save you from your sin. I shared a couple weeks ago that Matthew's gospel, it puts the emphasis upon Christ as king. Mark's gospel puts the emphasis upon Christ as servant. Luke's gospel makes the emphasis upon Christ as the son of man. In other words, his humanity. And then John's gospel that he is the son of God, his deity. Each one of the four gospels has a different emphasis. But before we get into chapter 3 of Matthew next week... I want to look at Luke's account. And the reason why I do is because Matthew's account starts really with John the Baptist coming on the scene, coming out of the wilderness, and his ministry beginning. And then he is beheaded. That's really uh, Matthew's account of John the Baptist. If you look at Luke's account... He takes it from the beginning, even while John the Baptist was still in the womb. And that's what I thought we would do. It's a fascinating story. To me, to look at and, and to read this, to me, it preps us for chapter 3 of Matthew. And so we're going we're to go that way in it. This name that has been given to John the Baptist, the forerunner, uh, a forerunner is defined as this. It's a person who goes or is sent in advance to announce the coming of someone or something that follows. That's why John the Baptist is referred to as the forerunner. He's going to go and announce that the Messiah has come. He's going to herald that message really uh, to Israel. John the Baptist, who was this forerunner or this herald of the Messiah, we read in... Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, these are the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus says about John the Baptist Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And you know, what's interesting about John the Baptist is that John the Baptist really was born into this world and really died in this world before Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was really still under the old covenant. He was still living really in the time of the Old Testament prophets is where John was living. But Jesus says there is not one born was greater than John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, he was greater in the sense that he was the last prophet that was going to come into this world and herald this news that the Messiah had come. We are blessed as believers that we're in New Testament times. We we have already seen the finished work of Christ on the cross. It's already a done deal. We're living at it. That's what this represents here, the finished work of Christ. In chapter 1, Uh, Look in your Bibles, chapter 1, verse 5. In the first 25 verses of this chapter, it's really going to be an angel that is announcing the birth of John the Baptist to Zacharias, his father. Let's read the story. There was in the days of Herod, now this is Herod the Great, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, who Abijah really was the son of uh, King Rehoboam of Judah. His wife was the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, Zacharias really came uh, from a kingly lineage, but Elizabeth came, and she was one of the daughters of Aaron. She came from the priestly side. And so we see that John the Baptist really had some heritage here to be the forerunner, to be the one that was going to announce the Messiah that was going to come into the world. Like Joseph and Mary, as we read a couple of weeks ago, God handpicked Joseph and Mary. He he divinely handpicked this couple to, to be the ones, to be the parents of the Messiah. Uh, For Mary to have this birth, this virgin birth, and to bring the Messiah into the world, they were handpicked by God. The same way that Zacharias and Elizabeth here have been handpicked by God. They are going to be the ones that are going to give birth to the forerunner that is going to announce the Messiah coming into the world. But we read on, and here's where things... We can see a lot of similarities in this story. Look at verse 7. But they had no child. That's a problem, isn't it? They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. It seems like we've heard that story before, haven't we? Uh, remember Abraham and Sarah? Uh, being advanced in years, laughing over the fact of having a a baby at this age. It's what's going on here. Elizabeth, barren and not able to give birth, but they had no child. And so it was, look at verse 8, and so it was that while Zacharias was serving As a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. This was going to take place, this announcement to Zacharias, this was going to take place in everyday life. This is what what Zacharias was used to. He was just living out his everyday life. But you know what? What? Here's Elizabeth, and here's Zacharias wanting a child. But she's barren. She's too old to have a child. But you know what? This is where God works best. He loves to blow our minds. He loves to intervene and show people how powerful he is, how great he is, when he can do the impossible. It's why he always does it this way. He brings people to the brink of impossibility and says, that's the way I'm going to do it. And here he is taking Zacharias and Elizabeth, and he's going to show his power through them. But here's Zacharias, we're told, that he is of the order of his division according to the custom of the priesthood. Now, Zacharias was a priest. He wasn't uh, a high priest, but he was a priest. Now, priest during that time was not just like one priest, There were hundreds of priests. And these priests consisted of, really, it was within the family. And so the high priest would actually set up... The whole year, basically, of when these other priests were going to come in and do their service within the temple. When they would come into the temple, they would give service to that temple for one week. From Sunday to Sunday, they would be in there and they would make all of the various things that would go on. Setting the, the, up the table of showbread and replacing that on a weekly basis. Burning the incense. And that was done twice a day. They would do it in the morning. They would do it in the evening. And so Zacharias was coming to the temple like he, he would. We know that that, uh, we, we read of that same type of thing happening when Peter and John in, the, in Acts chapter 3, when they were on their way to temple. And it says they came to the temple in the third hour, for it was the hour of prayer. They were just coming like they normally did. And a lot of the Jews would come in the morning and have their time of prayer at the temple, and they would come in the evening and have their time of prayer there at the temple also. And then we read in verse 10: And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, Remember when I was teaching in the book of Revelation, I showed you some slides of the temple and what the, the floor plan looked like. And this altar of incense was that, that small little altar that sat behind, in front of the veil. Behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. When the priest would walk in, he would walk into the holy place. When he would walk behind the veil, it would be called the Holies of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant sat. In front of that veil was the altar of incense. Outside the door of that temple, there was the brazen altar, which burned uh, the sacrifice. And they would take the coals from that uh, brazen altar, and the priest would bring it in, and he would set it on the altar of incense. And then he would take the temple spice and incense and sprinkle it upon The uh, altar of incense there and it would make this aroma go out through the holies of holies. And it was a symbol, it was a picture of the prayers of God's people and the prayers of that priest going up to God as it ascended up to God. The people are all on the outside of the temple, probably laying prostrate down on their knees before the Lord in prayer as the priest would go in to that altar of incense, really, on behalf of the people. And they would all be sitting outside or outside kneeling down in prayers, waiting for that priest to go in and do that, and then come back outside and bless the people. And then they would just there would be this rejoicing that their prayers had gone up to God. That's the picture that is taking place here. Then we see that as Zacharias goes into the holy place, he's standing there in front of the altar of incense. And we read in verse 11 then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And so he's, he's actually standing there. All of a sudden, this angel appears before Zacharias. Now, if you look at verse 19 of this chapter, you'll see what angel this is. It tells us that it's Gabriel. This is one of uh, the two angels, really, that are spoken of by name in scripture. This is Gabriel standing there next to the altar of incense. And then it says, and when Zacharias saw him, in verse 12, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. Put yourself in that place. Here's a priest going into the holy place, making these incense up before the Lord for the prayers of the people. When you see an angel standing there next to the altar of incense, probably the first thing that's running through Zacharias' mind is, What have I done? Have I entered into this place maybe unclean? Am I not really prepared to stand in this place? Because really for a priest to do that or even to walk behind the the veil and go into the holies of holies, if he was not prepared and cleansed and right before the Lord, he could be struck dead. And so here's this angel that is standing to the right side of the altar of incense. And we're told that when Zacharias saw him, He was troubled and fear fell upon him. But then it says, But the angel said to Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. What prayer? Your prayer is heard and your your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. I, I have to believe that They had both been praying for a child, maybe for years. Praying that God would give them the ability to have a child. And here's Gabriel telling Zacharias, he's heard your prayer. It's time. I'm going to answer that prayer. He heard your prayer. I shared a couple of weeks ago about divine providence. Uh, the divine pri- about divine revelations that God gives to mankind, divine timing that we see throughout Scripture. God is a God of order and divine timing and divine purposes, divine intervention into these things. God right now is intervening once again. 400 years of silence. Now he's intervening once again into the affairs of, of mankind. This is going to be God's divine plan unfolding really before the nation of Israel. This is going to be another supernatural birth. We already read about the supernatural birth of the virgin Mary. This is not going to be a virgin birth because this is going to be by the both of them. Mary's was a virgin birth, but nonetheless, it is a miraculous birth. They are beyond the years of being able to give birth to a child. And Zacharias is being told here, you're going to have a child, you and Elizabeth. Then Gabriel tells, look at verse 14. He tells Zacharias, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. At the birth of John. Notice that it says, many will rejoice at his birth. It doesn't say all, does it? Many will rejoice at his birth, not necessarily all. Not everyone was going to be real happy when John the Baptist came on the scene. They weren't going to be thrilled when he was out there preaching his message of repentance. We're told in verse 15 that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And notice that it's in the sight of the Lord, not necessarily in the sight of man. Not everybody thought that John the Baptist is great. But in the sight of the Lord, he was great. And he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be, and I want you to take note of this, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This is incredible. This gives us a little bit of insight into what God is doing here. Uh, That he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Uh, you know, John the Baptist, in the eyes of God was great. You know, there's a lot of men, we'll call them men of God, that they want to be great in the eyes of people. You know, they, they, wanna, they want people to deem them as being great. They want people to look to them instead of really looking to God. But you know what? John the Baptist, it was in the sight of God that he was great. Very important to note. Uh, John wasn't going to be one of those man pleasers. I hope that when I stand up here every week, that when I share the word of God with this church, and you guys hear, hear me up here, te- that I'm not up here. I, don't, I hope you don't think I'm up here to tickle your ear. I don't want to come up here and teach the word of God to tickle people's ears to let them hear what they want to hear. I want to teach the word of God for what it says. And you know what? It's up to you to listen and to hear what God is saying. You know, obviously I want to administer grace when I teach, you know, because that's the way the word should be administered in grace. But I'm not here to tickle your ear. John wasn't coming into this world to tickle anyone's ear. He came out preaching repentance and to turn from their sin and to believe. When I stand myself before the Lord someday, I have to give an account of everything that I share from this pulpit to you. I have to give an account of that. It says that John shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, which... This is probably because of a vow of a Nazarite. We know from Numbers chapter 6, just like Samson, uh, who uh, was to be consecrated really to God all the days of his life, that was really the calling upon Samson that he would be consecrated really unto God all the days of his life and that he would abstain from certain things in his life. And that's really what the vow of a Nazarite was, to abstain. And it was really for the purpose of a testimony and a witness, really of the message that John the Baptist was going to bring forth, that he was really under this kind of a vow of abstinence. It was really showing that he had separated, or that he would be separated one for the Lord. John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, Peter, James, John, the Apostle Paul, all of these men and people that we read and women that we see in Scripture, these were vessels of God. John was going to be a vessel of the living God. He was going to be a forerunner a messenger that was going to go out and really proclaim that message that the Messiah had come into this world. But all of these messengers that we see in scripture they were all prepared by God. God prepares us for ministry. God prepares you to do ministry. God has it already marked out what your gifts are. He already knows. If you don't know what your gifts are, you just need to ask God. He's already given you gifts to use. But God is the one that equips. God is the one that's equipping John here for what he has called him to do. But just know this, that if God ever calls you to do any ministry, anything, whatever he calls you to do, that know that when God calls you to do something, he will give you what you need to do it. So if we start questioning, oh God, I don't know if I can do this. I believe you've called me, but I don't know. No, if God calls you to do something, he will give you what you need to do it. Very important to remember. Look at uh, verse 16. The angel here then tells Zacharias, what John's mission is going to be. Verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Meaning that he's going to go out preaching repentance to the people there in Judea. He will also go before Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he really is... uh, quoting from Malachi 4.6, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so really we see that John the Baptist has a specific mission that has been given to him by God. He's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And that's how John the Baptist, we're going to see that when we start Matthew chapter 3 next week. He's going to come on the scene and he's going to be preaching repentance to the people as he comes out of the wilderness there in Judea. The angel also told him that his son was going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth With a curse. That was Malachi 430 years before John the Baptist came on the scene. Now it was time for John the Baptist to come out into this world. Gabriel told Zacharias, Your son is going to turn hearts towards God, and he is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah that is going to speak of the Messiah. I was, I was thinking about this. I'm thinking of my daughter Kristen and Ricky that have a, a baby on the way. <laughs> Just think if that message came to you guys, you know, of what that baby in Kristen's womb, what plan God has for that. That's what's going on here with Zacharias is he's hearing what God says and what this angel is telling him is going to be the plan for John. When he comes into this world. Verse 18 says, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? (laughs) You see something there? There's a question mark. How shall I know this? I think this is that that thing of doubt again. It's it's Abraham and Sarah laughing. (laughs) There's no way. How shall I know this? A little bit of uh, uh, some doubt that is going on here with Zacharias. For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. This isn't a new story to the Lord. This is, a, this is an old story, isn't it? How can this happen? How can this be? And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Look what Gabriel says. I, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. The message that I bring into you, Zacharias, it's coming from God himself. It's good news to you, Zacharias. That should have been enough for Zacharias to hear. It it should have been enough, but he obviously had his doubts in his heart. If I tell you from this pulpit that every word in the Bible is true and sure, if if I tell you that every word, every verse in the word of God that it's true, And it's sure, that doesn't mean that every one of you here will believe every word that I say. It doesn't mean you'll really believe it. You'll hear it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll believe it. You know how I know that to be true? For myself and you? is because there's all kinds of promises in the Word of God. We read them time and time again. And then there are times that we just question and we doubt God. God, are you even able to do this? And sometimes it can be the smallest thing. And we, and we really can't even believe that the creator of the heavens and the earth is able to do this one little task. We do that all the time. But we read our Bibles and we read it and say that it's all true. You know, you're believing will only go as far as your faith. Your ability to believe God's truth only goes as far as your faith will take you. So we have to ask ourselves the question, where is my faith? When I start to question God and I'm not sure if he's able to do this and take care of this situation, Lord, my my faith is lacking. I'm having a hard time even believing you could even do this. And so we have to say, Lord, increase our faith. Give me more faith so that I can believe you for bigger things. You see, all of us have a God that we serve, hopefully just the living God, but all of our gods might be of different size. Some of us might have a God that's only this big. He can only answer the little things in your life. And some of us might have a God that's this big, and he might get a lot bigger for some because your faith in the living God is greater. He's able, and even though I can't figure it out and see how it's going to work out, I'm going to stand on what I do know. Very important. It makes me wonder how many times the Lord shakes his head at me and says to me, Greg, oh, ye of little faith. He doesn't say, oh, ye of no faith, Greg, but quite often I've probably had that, oh, ye of little faith just like you probably have. Gabriel says to Zacharias, he says, because you did not believe my words. Do you see that? Because you did not believe my words, you will be mute and not be able to speak. It seems... From reading, and we'll see as we go on in our text here, it seems that Zacharias here was not only made mute, but he was also made deaf. That at the moment of his unbelief, that Gabriel had the authority at that moment, really, to make Zacharias deaf and mute for the moment. It's real hard to tell people truths about the Bible when we're not even ourselves convinced, are we? Have you ever tried to go out and tell somebody a truth out of the Bible but you weren't even convinced in your heart that you really believed it? How much, how, how much passion and how much uh, could you really tell somebody that if you really didn't believe it yourself? You wouldn't. Here's Zacharias, the priest, in doubt. Not even really being able to go out of that temple and to be able to go out and tell the people what the angel had just told him. And here the angel says, I'm just going to make you... You're going to be mute and deaf. And while this was going on, all of this conversation between the angel and Zacharias we read that the people in verse 21 were outside what? Waiting. They're outside waiting for Zacharias and they're all there marveling that he lingered so long in the temple. (laughs) Where is he? (laughs) What's happened to Zacharias? Did God strike him down? What's going on? He's normally not in there that long. Where is Zacharias? I think they were probably getting a little bit nervous. But then we read in verse 22. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. (laughs) That beckoning to them was really, have you ever played charades? Most of us have. He, he's coming out of there. He's probably really, ex, uh, probably overwhelmed and excited of what just took place there with that angel there. But he comes out not being able to speak. And he's doing these charades to all these people that are outside of the, the temple. He's trying to communicate with them because he can't speak with his lips. And the things that he's trying to convey to them we're going to have a child. How would you do that? You know, we, was he going like this? <laughs> you know, he's trying to show them we're going to have a child. He can't speak it, but he's doing these charades. And also the Savior's coming. The Messiah's coming. How's he, how would you do that if you were playing charades? That's Zacharias coming out of the temple. we're also not told here that if anyone really understood or even believed him we don't know in verse 23 and so it was as soon as the days of his service were completed this is a week-long service that he departed to his own house And now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And so here's the fulfillment. Here's another interesting point. When we at times doubt God and we lack faith, that does not always mean that God won't be faithful. God is going to be faithful to to fulfill his promise that Elizabeth was going to give birth even though Zacharias was doubting. Here's God fulfilling that. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself five months saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Uh, Barrenness in that time was really a mark of shame. And we don't know why she hid herself away for five months. Maybe it was just that, that time to take in really what was taking place here. I, I'm actually pregnant now. And maybe it was just a time of recluse to, to get away before the Lord. But here it is that her reproach, this barrenness, this shame that she bore for all these years is going to, be, to change now because God has done a miracle Now, after Gabriel's announcement to Zacharias, we see that Gabriel announces to Mary that she was going to give birth to Jesus. First, the announcement came really to Zacharias about John the Baptist. And now it's going to be the announcement, really, to Joseph and Mary. In verse 26, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women." and when he saw him when she saw him she was troubled at his saying and considered that the manner of his greeting this was then the angel said to her Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest of the Lord God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Notice that in this passage also, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. God's Holy Spirit, God's power being also upon Mary. Now indeed, verse 36, Elizabeth, your relative, they were cousins, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Now, Mary's probably thinking at this moment of hearing this from the angel also, from Gabriel. She's going, wow. I mean, this is incredible news. Elizabeth, my God, she's pregnant. She's with child. She was too old. For all these years, we've been praying for Elizabeth, and now she's with child. It's a miracle of God. It appears from this passage here that there's a six-month difference between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Six-month difference. So that gives you a kind of a timeline of really the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus coming into this world. Verse 37 is a verse that we should all underline. For with God, nothing will be impossible Uh, should we all say amen to that but when we say amen we say I agree I believe nothing's impossible with God Uh, the question we have to ask ourselves is do we believe that I think I needed to challenge myself when I read this verse Uh, you know There are times that I think that we need to put God to the test. Have you ever done that? God, I'm going to stand upon what I do know and what you have told me in your word, and I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to just recklessly just trust you with this. I'm going to believe that you're able, Lord, and I'm going to put you to the test. Do you know that God, I believe, actually honors that type of faith? That you would be just so sure that God was going to do something or or handle this situation or show you that you just stood out and said, God, I'm going to put you to the test. I have no clue how this could be done, but I know that with you there is nothing impossible, and so I'm going to stand on that. God loves it when we don't doubt him. But let him ask in faith, not doubting. God loves it. Now look at Mary's words, her faith, really. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, speaking of herself, kind of like a bondservant, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary just believed. She just believed what the angel had said. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. She's actually making her way quickly. She's so excited of what she has just heard about Elizabeth and what she has heard of herself. She goes to the city of Judea and she enters the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And then look what it says. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, underline that. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The other night, Kathy sat on her couch and Kristen said, the baby's moving in my womb. And Kathy put her hand on Kristen's stomach and felt the baby kicking. And you know, just the whole idea of a birth, I mean, that in itself is an incredible, isn't it? But for Mary to come into this household, to make this announcement, and then the this baby within Elizabeth's womb, it leaps. Zacharias was told that the baby John that it was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. Which tells me here's this baby still being formed within Elizabeth's womb. And there was still able, when the Holy Spirit came upon her, that it caused the infant, John, to leap within her womb. That's pretty incredible. When you read the book of Acts... You can take note that every time something powerful and great happens throughout the book of Acts, it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were full of the Holy Spirit. And then God did something. Very important for us to know. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need the power of your Spirit in my life so I can be a witness for you, so I can say no to sin, so that I can live my Christian walk. I need that in my life. We've seen it just already three times. They were full of the Holy Spirit. Mary, Elizabeth, John the Baptist. I think some of us this morning maybe have never been baptized in God's Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never called upon God's Spirit to come upon you in all power and fill you with his Holy Spirit. And I believe that we need to do that today. God, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. I need that. I can't walk my walk apart from you. Look what it says in verse 42. Then Elizabeth spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Mary. But why, is this, but why is this granted to me, she says, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of these things which were told her from the Lord. I think in this moment... God used Elizabeth here to speak words of joy and faith. Actually, God speaking through her, it was probably in a very natural way, but it was actually coming from God, these very words. These were words that that spoke really of joy and faith. I mean, I, I... I was just trying to sit there and picture in my mind what it would have looked like in that room with Elizabeth and Mary. The baby leaping in the room, Mary telling her about uh, what the angel had told her, Elizabeth saying what, and, and her being now pregnant herself. I mean, could you imagine the excitement, the joy that was in that room right then? I think they were really... In my own words, they were blown away. And then we see from verse 46 to 55, and I'm not going to read it. You can read it on your own, but it's really Mary then breaks out. It's referred to as the Song of Mary. Incredible. Just read it, verse 46 to verse 55. And then we come to verse 56 in our text and it says, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son and when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. Uh, Here, now, John the Baptist is born. There's great rejoicing over it. They take and have him circumcised like every Jewish boy on the eighth day. And... Then all of the relatives and all that were gathered there rejoicing as a family. What are you going to name him? If thinking that they're going to name him really after Zacharias, which was common of the day. To give him a name and to pass it down. But here in verse 16, the mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. John. The name John actually is derived from a Hebrew word which means Yahweh is gracious. Names meant something when they named their children. A lot of times today they don't when we name our children, but they meant something. Yahweh is gracious. John the Baptist coming into the world. Verse 61, but, his, but her relative said to her, Elizabeth. There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs. Uh, so they, they see Zacharias, excuse me, they see Zacharias probably standing off to the side. And so they make signs to him. They, go, they, they, they know that Zacharias, he can't speak, he can't hear you know, this must have been a frustrating time for him. And they begin to make these signs to his father. Probably a little bit of sign language. What would you have him called? Zacharias? And Zacharias asked for a writing tablet. It would have probably been a wood tablet. with. They would pour wax over it and he would inscribe it on there. And he inscribed it on there. His name is John. And so they all marveled. We're all sitting there, whoa, John. Zacharias now is given a second chance. How many of you have had those second chances in your life? How many of you have lacked faith? And God gave you another chance to exercise faith. We see this second chance given to him, but says that the angel had already told Zacharias that his name was going to be John. He already told him that. And so on Zacharias's part, this was faith, wasn't it? He writes on the tablet, John is his name. It was an act of obedience on Zacharias' part. And then look what happens in response, verse 64 immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, praising God. Could you imagine for all those months of not being able to speak or hear, all of these things welling up inside of him and all of a sudden his tongue is loosed. God opens up his ears to hear. And then he breaks out in praise. It's like he had to get it out. He wasn't able to before. And we're told in verse 65, then fear came upon all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. I believe that a witness was being formed right here. John the Baptist had come, a miracle of God, the forerunner of God. They discussed these things. A witness was being formed. And then in verse 67, now, and I have this one underlined also, now John, or uh, John's uh, father, Zacharias, was also filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Again, we see it again. Here's Zacharias now being filled with the Holy Spirit, that power of God. He's about to give a prophecy here. Now, when we test prophecies in scripture, if a prophecy is given in a church uh, or somebody claims to be giving a prophecy or says, how do we judge that? If something that is really a prophecy from God or something that somebody made up, here's some things to keep in mind. If it's a real prophecy uh, from the Lord, it's always going to be in harmony with the word of God. That's number one. It also must come to pass 100%, not 95% accurate. It has to be 100% accurate if it's being said that it's a prophecy from God. And lastly, that it will always point people to Christ or to salvation. So now let's read the prophecy, verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he, and he's speaking of Christ here, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation, which this horn of salvation is a symbol really in, in the Old Testament of power of kings and whatever. The, there was a symbol of power. For, uh, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who has been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform... The mercies promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. In holiness, righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you child, speaking about John the Baptist, and you child will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people Israel by the remissions of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring, which is a name for the Messiah from on high, has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's a prophecy right there. Here he is, Zachariah, giving this prophecy for all that were standing there to hear. Did you see what I said what the qualifications of a prophecy were? All of these things were accurate to what the prophets foretold. It was turning people's eyes towards Christ. And it was going to come to pass 100% accurate. This was a a prophecy, excuse me, from the Lord. And then we end in verse 80. It's a lot of verses. So the child... Speaking about John the Baptist, the child grew and he became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. We end on that verse today and it'll be preparation for chapter 3 of Matthew next week because when we start out chapter 3, he, John the Baptist comes on the scene.